Let it shine. Hello, hello, my dear audience. Let it shine. I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. I'm happy you're joining me today. We can have an open mic show today. You're welcome to call in with your comments and or questions. And the number here is 888-874-4888. And if you have difficulties listening to us through because of the internet challenges, uh, you can listen to the uh, through the number 641-793-7091. And also if you don't feel like calling, but you would like to share with me your thoughts or you have questions, you can email me at peter number 1818 Resnick, R-E-Z-N as an N-C-I-K, at gmail.com, Peter18 There are several emails I want to answer today, and then we'll try to continue our exploration of the Bible stories. But first, as usual, a little show and tell. I found this note written by Charles Darwin. It's not the strongest of the species that survives, not the most intelligent that survives. It is the one that is most adaptable to change. Indeed, change is the only thing that is permanent. And change is what we need to learn to accept and adapt to. And those people who live hoping that life will continue just like they like it or feel that at that particular moment or day or month should continue or will continue, those are setting themselves for big disappointment. Change is what makes us grow. So what happens, no matter what it is, welcome it. Even if it is a loss, it is perfectly normal to grieve, uh, for example, about the loss of the loved one. And then one must ask oneself a question. What is the change? And what will it teach me? How will I grow from this experience? I also came across another note written by Nelson Mandela. Our world is not divided by race, color, gender, or religion. Our world is divided into wise people and fools. And fools divide themselves by race, color, gender, or religion. Isn't it great? So simple, so brilliant. And how relevant it is today in America when they do everything, they, those who are interested in doing it, everything to identify people by their skin color and by race, dividing people into oppressors and victims. Unfortunately, those who choose the role of victims thinking that it would benefit them, I am confident 
that in the end they will pay a heavy price for it. So we are who we are and we are creating our life every single day. I love what Mahatma Gandhi wrote so many years ago. Every night I go to sleep, I die. And in the morning, I'm born again. So every morning we have 24 brand new hours to make our life work. Okay, we'll go to the emails. First, I have to share with you something. My friend Gary, remember I told you there is a gentleman by the name Gary. I don't know if he wants me to share his last name, but he sends me all these emails with links to different interviews, which uh, are so, so interesting. Uh, and he kind of wants to keep me updated on life. And he sent me this interview uh, with a German pathologist about the dangers of mRNA vaccines. I only start, I just received it today, and I only started uh, listening to it, but uh, watching it, but it seems very interesting. And if you're interested in watching that interview, I will be glad to send it to you, to forward it to you. If you send me an email and ask me the uh, interview with the German pathologist, I will send you, I will forward you the, that a link, or you can probably, you can go on YouTube and write interview with the German pathologist. Now everything is accessible. Uh, but I, I hope, and I did not watch it to the end, but I hope he has some suggestions for people who actually did get the vaccine. I did not get the vaccine. My son did not get the vaccine. Unfortunately, my daughter did get it because even though she listened to my warnings, she said, I'm not going to stop living. I cannot go to, to university unless I'm vaccinated. And she did get one vaccine. I want to know uh, and hopefully there are sites which say uh, have some kind of advice of what to do if a person did get a vaccine. Fortunately, she didn't have any adverse reactions. Anyway, uh, my next email is from Tatiana. Um, she writes, thank you very much for sharing ta 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 and gives me some compliments. Very thank you, uh, Tatiana, for good words. But then she writes, I just got married and everything is wonderful. I am so much in love with my husband. Um, she speaks a little bit about her love and then she asked me if I have any suggestions about how to make this relationship work or stay this way for a lifetime. <laughs> it's interesting, I didn't think about it, but I just spoke about change and change will happen. It doesn't mean that the relationship, Tatiana, will get worse, but the relationship, the nature of the relationship will change. In fact, the relationship changes uh, every time new circumstances come in life. I have a whole course actually called Making Relationships Work, and I talk about five stages of relationship. And every relationship goes through these five stages. Uh, 
if you are interested in me expanding on that and, and giving a full talk on relationships, I would gladly do it. If if you and other people send me emails and ask me to talk about these stages of relationships, which are inevitable, they happen every time the change in life happens, which means you got married, but you don't have children. Once you have children, there is a change. And then your children go to school or the children go to college and you're back together. Uh, only you and him, it's a change and so on. And each uh, couple or group go through the same changes. Even uh, business relationships um, also change. And you, the more you know about these five stages, the more equipped you are to making these relationships work. So no matter how great, but I will go back to now talking about uh, what suggestion I have for you right now in, in the immediacy of your uh, happy marriage and where you are right now. No matter how great your marriage is, you can try this. Uh, you know that that the president of the United States once a year gives a State of the Union address there, right? That's where the idea comes from for, for this exercise. A, a couple, as a couple, you can make a commitment that every week, sometime before weekend begins, let's say it can be Friday in the evening or Saturday in the morning, you allocate five to 10 minutes of what you can call state of our union address. Uh, but again, it will work only in my experience, and I encourage many couples to do this. It will work if it's a commitment and you keep your commitment to try at least for a few months and see if it's, <clears throat> if it's beneficial. I believe because again, I believe because it's based on feedback that I received from many, many couples. If you do that for three months, you will not want to stop because it's so good. You sit in front of each other and one person at the time share if there was anything during the week that passed that has not been addressed. Anything that made you cringe any hurt or disappointment. The other listens silently, not saying a word. It's very important not to interrupt saying, oh, I did this because, or it happened because. When you say something like uh, the, this to a person um, who shares their pain or concern, you're basically saying, I hear you, but this is irrelevant. I had my thoughts about it. I have good reasons. And probably you did. But that is not important at that moment. The person you love is sharing with you their pain. So at the end of them sharing, it's good if you say something like, I hear you, or thanks for sharing. And then... And this is very important. You say, my love or whatever term of endearment you use, whatever tender words you use when you express love, you say, 
is there something I can do to make it better? And when a person says what you could do, you may not be able to do everything. You may be able to do part. You don't mention what you cannot do, but you choose what you can do and make a commitment to do it. That's where the healing happens. At times, they will ask you to do something again uh, because they want you to do something. But at times, that would be you acknowledging where they are is enough. That all, everything, all that they needed is to be heard. And then the person takes his or her turn. So if you have very little time, still do it. Make time. It's only five, ten minutes. You can even do it in five minutes, but it's better to not rush. So allocate some time. How much time every day do you spend thinking about your business? How much time you spend thinking in, in one week about your business? And if your relationship is important to you, invest 10 minutes a week. Make it a part of your family life or what we call in psychology the family culture. Maybe we can talk about the family culture more. If Again, if you're interested, if you write to me about it and if you want, I can elaborate on this subject. What it What is family culture? Next, next email. Next email uh, I received from Paula. I received your email, Paula, regarding my comments about Hamas. Thank you for taking time to write. It is a well-written and thorough email. I spent actually several days. I received this email a week ago, right after the show last week. And I spent several days, particularly during my evening walks, you know, before, like somewhere at 7 or 8 o'clock in the evening, I go for an hour walk. And I was dialoguing with you, Paula. It's like I was probably attempting to speak to all people who are getting the news from the same very particular source or sources that I feel you are getting your news. Because all these sources that I am familiar with and all the people that I heard pretty much the same thing, uh, it seems it's like a chorus saying the same thing. All rely on Hamas propaganda. And all, and all I'm talking about seven or eight people I heard from, the same thing. They're all lacking knowledge of history. Or to say correctly, all have information from the sources which rewrite history. I continued this dialogue in my mind till this morning. And then I reread your email. And I realized that you started the whole email with, with the sentence. You comment about Hamas. Do you think 
about how the Palestinians have been treated since 1948 by Israelis. You wrote nothing about what Hamas did. Not a word. No acknowledgement of the horror. Yes, well-documented horror, well-documented by forensic specialists from different countries, which is now being denied by the same sources. Nothing because apparently the people who are murdered, who were murdered, who were raped, who were mutilated, their lives don't matter. Uh, if Israel is stopped now, Hamas will rearm. And in five, ten years from now, the same will happen again. And all those lives, Israeli lives and Palestinian lives lost, will be in vain. Killing one person after the objective of freeing the land of Gaza from Hamas would be immoral. You stop. You stop. But till Hamas is totally il eliminated, it is immoral to stop halfway and to allow the same to happen again. It would be as if in 1944, when Hitler was almost defeated from all sides by the Russians, by the British, by the Americans, almost. And sad, but remember, Hitler, the war ended in April 1945. But imagine in 1944, all allies would suddenly stop, allowing Hitler to rearm and to regroup. And what you wrote, Paula, about the possibility that Israelis are staging all this, that's when I thought about the sources you rely on. There is a term quite known among the Palestinians and those who are watching the Palestinians and the recipients of their so-called news. The term is called Hollywood as Hollywood. It is well known how they manufacture their news and stage scenes. Yet it is undeniable that half of the Gazans are now approved it, more than half. Tens of thousands are killed, but they are being used as human shields. Israel did not start this war. Israel pulled out of Gaza in 2005, and Hamas was democratically elected by Gazans. And no sooner that Israelis moved out, Hamas burned all the gardens, all the farms that Israelis left for them, and started building the tunnels. Now, tragically, Gazans live with the consequences of the choices they made. And finally, Paula, your last sentence in the email, do you consider this military response as, as inhumane as Hamas was on October 7th? No, I don't. Israelis do not look for civilians to torture them, to rape them to mutilate them. Yes, tragically, many Gazans die because Hamas does not allow them to escape, use them, use them as human shields. And if you, Paula, see no difference between what Hamas did on October 7th 
and what Israelis are doing, what they're forced to do on a human level, if you see no difference, I will not say anything else. Those who see the difference, see. And those who don't, choose not to see many other things in life. I'm certain of that. God, I believe, is ultimately the judge. So God will judge us. For those who are seriously interested in understanding the roots of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in the last hundred years, I would recommend to study the works of two scholars with quite different views on history. One is Muslim, one uh, a Jew. One is Professor Benny Morrison from Ben Gurion University. The other professor of Columbia University, Rashid Khalili, Khalibi, K-H-A-L-I-B-I. Though their views on history are skewed by their belonging to opposite camps, both have the courage to admit where their own people made mistakes, where their leadership made mistakes and how the leaders of both camps contributed to the ongoing conflict that took lives of thousands upon thousands of people on both sides. Okay. Uh, something just came to my mind. Uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, I always you know, get carried away or I, I talk about something and then a, a thought pops into my mind and I have this fear that if I don't share with you, I will not, I will forget about it and I will not be, I will not tell it to you in the future. And it's so, I feel useful, so interesting. So something just crossed my mind as I was talking to Paula, responding to Paula, and I want to share it with you. Uh, but probably that would belong more to show and tell part. Uh, Let me see. I, I want to see if somebody sent me a text. No. Uh, uh, I thought about an American scholar and writer, Thomas Cahill. Thomas Quinn Cahill. Unfortunately, he died from a heart attack in 2022. Uh, uh, I, now I know why he flashed through my mind. Uh, because I spoke about two scholars, a Jew and a Muslim, writing about the Jewish-Palestinian conflict. And Thomas Cahill, who is neither a Jew nor a Muslim, wrote this book, The Gifts of the Jews, How a Tribe of Desert Nomads Changed the Way Everyone Thinks and Feels. I believe that's the title. Uh, indeed, precisely because the Jews brought the, the, their gifts, uh, I think they're held by others to higher standards. But also I think it's because God holds them to higher standards. Anyway, Thomas Cahill also wrote uh, another book, and that's how I was introduced his work, called How the Irish Saved Civilization, the untold story of Ireland's heroic role from 
the fall of Rome to the rise of medieval Europe. That's an absolutely remarkable book. I think for probably one of the most interesting books I read. And I remember I got this book as a present on my 50th birthday. So Thomas Cahill, How the Irish Save Civilization. Then he has also another wonderful book, Mysteries of the Middle Ages. Uh, so if, if you want to explore, if you would like to read, my God, so many books are, uh, uh, of, of such importance. Also, look, look up the books by Maurice Berman. He's a science, science historian. historian. I, I read many of his books, such as uh, The Reenchantment of the World, another one coming out to our senses, another one, Wandering God, the study uh, in nomadic spirituality, and another one, The Twilight of the American Culture. So if you are a reader, these two authors are must. Anyway, let's go back to the emails. Uh, do I see somebody calling? Daryl from the Bronx is online. Is it from the last week or we have Daryl right now? Uh, Dylan, can we have Daryl? Is he calling? Hello? Daryl from the Bronx. Oh, hi, Daryl. Hi, I'm so happy you called. Sorry, I, I wasn't sure. I, I looked at the note uh, and I, I wasn't sure. I thought it was like from last week. Okay, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> comment or question? Um, well, first of all, I, I especially called because uh, I failed to communicate with you during the week through email or any other way, and the guilt was up. So I wanted to um, to keep our relationship going. Wonderful. And uh, in that context, yes. um, I'm just feeling a lot of pain right now for a number of reasons. How, mm -hmm. However... I totally agree with you on the flexibility mm -hmm. and I find right now, what is your position on Lucifer, the devil, Satan? Mm, I love the question before anything. <laughs> uh, you really want to hear my, my view? Yes. Uh, <clears throat> well, my view is affected by by my uh, uh, my understanding of what Talmud is teaching. You're probably familiar with Talmud. Talmud is yes, yes, however, I, I need to do more study on the first contract. I call it the first contract. Okay. So, so if, if what's called Torah, or the book of Moses, is the main body of information or instruction you receive from God, Talmud is 65 books of commentary on, on these five books of Moses. And they're written mostly by, by great, great sages. And there is a story actually in Talmud about Lucifer, what, what we call Satan, because there is no mentioning of Satan in the Torah, in the main book. Uh, but it's mentioned in the book of Job, where Satan is sitting with God and they're kind of or sitting or lying or flying 
we don't know that they're having a conversation. And of course, Satan never doubts God because God created Satan like all other angels. Satan um, doubts. Prime, prime musician, his, his job was to glorify um, to glorify the Father at all times and all means, and his jealousy of the glorification that he was able to give through his musical body um, re required him, which is an interesting phrase, required him to take the prize creation and get the, the glorification and the adoration from the prize creation to himself as compared to giving it where it rightly goes to the father. I'm trying to remember, I need, I need you to, to give me in, um, in Hebrew, uh, cause I have, uh, Yahweh, um, yeah, not Yah, Yahweh. Well, I'll use the old, old, I think the older term is Yahweh rather than, the other term that I'm trying to remember, and the the Hebrew for what the Greeks call agape, which is love without expecting any return. Yeah. Uh, uh, Daryl, let, let's let's go back to your original question. You yes. asked about Lucifer, and then uh, you asked me a question about Lucifer, and then you very clearly uh, defined what your understanding of Lucifer and his role. But let me uh, now add to what I know. I don't know where your source, where you, you got this information, but I will tell you my source, and as I said, Talmud. And there is an right. interesting discourse on, on helping people to understand Lucifer or, or Satan. And the discourse is this. Uh, once there was a king, and he was concerned about his son because he, the king was getting old, and he wanted to make sure that his son is worthy to be a king. So he called his favorite concubine, and he said to her, please uh, go and try to seduce my son, uh, because I need to know that he can withstand uh, they can keep can, he can keep his word and withstand the charms of a woman, and then he called his son and said, "For one month, you can reign, you can be a king, you can do anything in the kingdom. There is only one thing you can cannot do. I need to test your ability to be strong and and keep your commitment. And that is, you cannot have a woman in uh, you cannot engage in intimate relations with the woman." And so the discourse is when this uh, concubine goes to seduce the prince, does she hate uh, the king? No, of course, she's a loyal servant of the king. Does she hate the prince? Absolutely not. She loves the prince. He grew up in front of her eyes. But because she loves the prince, she will do everything to seduce him, hoping that he will withstand her charms and prove to be a king. 
So that's what Hebrew understanding of Lucifer, of the deceiver is. Yes, he will try to deceive you. He will try to seduce you. But it's not because he is evil and against you, but because he hopes that you will withstand the, the, the temptation. So I actually wrote uh, 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 first an essay, now it's a, an illustrated book called uh, Taming the Debater Within. It's on, available on Amazon.com, where I elaborate on it, how to recognize the void voice of the deceiver and then move on, how to go beyond, how to overcome that temptation, because the temptation comes now and the temptation will keep coming. And the more evolved, spiritually evolved you are, the bigger are the temptations. In the beginning, it can be uh, something like material. And as you grow, uh, it becomes more physical, uh, more uh, emotional, and then becomes spiritual. And as you know, in this uh, book, uh, um, in the Gospels, uh, Satan comes and takes Jesus to the wall of Jerusalem and says, if you're so faithful, then jump off. And that is, you know, challenging his ego and his faith and so on, and whether he will fall for this temptation still to prove himself, which Jesus rebut, uh, is not buying into this nonsense. Uh, and so he actually is not seduced by the Lucifer. So so the, the short answer is, the Lucifer is not the enemy. It's uh, an energy, it's an uh, inclination within us to do the wrong thing for one, with one purpose only, for us to overcome that temptation, that inclination to grow and to assert the good uh, and to choose not to do evil, to assert life, choose, to choose not to do uh, that which is against life. That's my answer, Daryl. I, I appreciate that, however, I'm challenged in the context that was it, wasn't it Lucifer who oh, wasn't it, wasn't it Lucifer who took one-third of the angels in rebellion against Yahweh? and um, was therefore thrown out of heaven, even though he still had access. Um, because I think, I think Lucifer was conflicted about his love for his creator, Yahweh, and his need, quote-unquote, in quotes, of the adoration that he saw Yahweh obtain. Daryl, yeah, frankly, I, I do not know this from my sources, and I do not know enough Christian sources to say it. So you probably have it from, from your sources that I have, didn't have access. So no, but, The only thing I'm, I'm using is the, Bible, the Holy Bible is constructed in, what is it, uh, 374 or whatever it was, uh, the better known as, I don't know, um, King the King James, James one, one of the versions is King James, so that's my only source. Yeah, but King, I cannot rely on King James. It's full of... No, I, I, once again, I'm, you were giving source, right? and I was just telling you wh where I got the notion 
So you have, in in your understanding, there was there, there wasn't a rebellion in heaven. I, no, 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 no. I, not from what I studied. First of all, number one, uh, maybe there was, and I, I just don't know. I didn't read about it. The second, all right. from what I studied, I I do not know about the rebellion, so I cannot speak about it. Uh, right. So I shared with you what, what I know, <laughs> Daryl. For now, I want to move on, if you don't mind, with answering yet another email. But thank you. For oh, it's perfectly me. fine. I, I thank you for the time. And and would you would you contemplate um, yes. when the Greeks uh, translate um, the word love as agape? Uh -huh. um, would would you? Uh, Next time we, we speak, would you give me the Hebrew for that, or is that outside? But, for, now, for now, I will just give you the one word for love in Hebrew, which is Ahava. Ahava. So, but I will read up on Agape, and I will talk about it next week. Thanks for calling, Daryl. Bless you so much. Thank you. Bless you. Bye-bye. So, now, finally, one more email and uh, that is from Robert. Robert asked me to talk about the greed and denial. Last week, as you remember, uh, I spoke about Greek and denial as being the impulses which are at the root of all addictions. Uh, but let me speak a, a little bit more because I understand Robert want me, wanted me to expand on the subject on greed greed and denial, because uh, I said that greed and denial are the, the original impulses, uh, but it's not only that they are the source of uh, alcoholism or, or drug addiction or, or different addictions. Uh, they do much more than just um, create addictions. In our modern consumerism-driven society, greed is, is really uh, constantly encouraged. We are bombarded by the media's suggestions, constantly, uh, to pursue more, to get better, to acquire different, more, better, and different, more, better, and different. Um, Greed is responsible for not only addictions, but for crooked cops and crooked politicians. Greed is the reason that the world is being run by the insurance and pharmaceutical companies and petroleum industries. Greed causes worldwide sex slavery of women and children. Greed drives the murders of uh, people just for money. That's why people, they were hit men, hit women. That's about money. One of two, as I mentioned, two major causes uh, of alcoholism and drug addiction is greed. Never-ending desire for more pleasure. And the same with workaholism. Uh, Till in most cases, 
it becomes apparent that, for example, um, a person's life is being destroyed. People are driven by greed and it, they feel good about acquiring. Uh, if a person is no longer, if a person is losing his family because of workaholism, maybe it will wake him or her up. But otherwise, people are proud of it. In one of my workshops, I, I ask a question. If you were granted fulfillment of one wish only, what would they be? Nine, nine out of ten people answer, I want to be happy. Happiness in my understanding is having what you want and being fulfilled by what you have. People suffering from the affliction of greed are never happy because no matter what they have, there is always more out there. They can never have enough because after another achievement and another thousand or a billion dollars, another height conquered or another great sexual experience, there is yet another other and that is to be acquired and conquered and achieved. They spend their lives in the constant search and dissatisfaction, a thirst that is quenched for a short time only to yield another longing in a desert of unfulfilled desire. Greed, this continuous pursuit for more, very often is a substitute for lack of meaning. I shared with you, I think last week or a couple of weeks ago, what Viktor Frankl wrote. When a man cannot find a deep sense of meaning, they distract themselves with pleasure. Most of the time, unhappy people make other people unhappy. The more important they are, the more influential they are, the more unhappiness they create around themselves. So, if you notice any signs of greed in yourself and would like to find a way out of this perpetual cycle, no matter how tiny it is, I can tell you what I recommend to people that I work with. And the first step is make a conscious decision that you commit yourself to changing this impulse and that you are willing to invest whatever time and energy it may require. And the second, examine what your real needs are. Real needs, I mean, we're not talking about for, for extra. Write down clearly what the needs are, including for air, for food, for security. What basic needs are. See if your needs are fulfilled. And if some of them are not, figure out uh, which ones are, are and which, which ones are not, and how you're going to fill the gap. The gap.
filling that gap may be a serious journey on its own and may help you to pull yourself away to some degree uh, from yielding the greed impulse. Because the greed impulse may be actually a de denial because you may realize that there are some needs which are not fulfilled. And instead of fulfilling that need or that, that unfulfilled desire, you follow the greed impulse uh, to, to denying that need. I will give you an example. If a person wants to sing or, or to draw, uh, they were dreaming to do some kind of art, which more than likely will not bring them money. And so they begin to do business and they spend hours, days, they spend their life pursuing, making more money, buying more gadgets. But that's because if they examine, they discover that they suppress that desire to, to express themselves artistically. And possibly they didn't pursue that because of fear, because they were afraid of what if I'm not good enough. So that needs to be explored. And the third step, the third step is anytime you want to do more, to experience more, to acquire more, to achieve more, as soon as you become aware of that, stop and ask yourself, is this, and name whatever you are getting ready to involve yourself with, is this in harmony with the way I choose to live my life? based on the well thought through idea, the honest answer, you proceed with your actions. But you have to ask, answer this question. Is this in harmony with the way I choose to live my life? Uh, be aware that working on this issue may take you not weeks, not even months. It may take you years. But by taking one step at a time, respecting your own efforts and celebrating your little victories, you will one day have what you want and be fulfilled by what you have. Now, denial, also Robert wanted me to talk about. As I said last week, we are not talking about denial as a refusal to satisfy someone's request or desire. We're talking about psychological definition of denial as a defense mechanism in which the confrontation with a personal problem or reality is avoided by denying the existence of the problem or that reality. I was just speaking about greed. I told you that the greed was one of the two main causes of alcoholism and drug addiction and workaholism. The second main cause of uh, these addictions is denial. Choosing uh, to muffle one's frustration or pain by the intensity of endless work or intoxication or something else or having an affair. 
problem with denial is that for a short time it works. It helps a person to have a peace of mind when he or she cannot or will not accept an unpleasant truth. In the long run, of course, there is a price to pay. So then how do we face the truth? What is the way to end denial? If there is something or someone in your life that you do not like, or some negative experience that repeats itself, uh, that is what is happening in the outside. Ask yourself, what does this, whatever it is, tell me about me? I repeat again, whatever is happening outside of you, whatever experience you are having, pause and ask, what does this tell me about me? Remember the mirror principle. I spoke about it in many, many of my talks. That which is inside is outside. That which is outside is inside. But it all starts from the inside. If you, if, if you feel like you are a victim, if you feel, live in fear, more than likely you will bring into your life someone or something to, to fear. You will find victimizers. It doesn't work the other way around. People say, oh, I was attacked, now I'm afraid. Examine your life. It always starts with the content of your consciousness. If you're surrounded by people who are unkind, ask yourself if you are unkind. If you search honestly and without judgment, you may discover that you have been unkind in some other circumstances, or you have been unkind toward yourself. There is yet another way to end denial. By now, I hope uh, you know, many of you read my article on dream work, and if you didn't, I highly recommend it. Uh, you go on my website, drpeterresnik.com, go on the articles and read the article called Dream Work. Remember, in, in that article, I ask you to look at every person in a dream as a quality of yourself. When you see yourself in a dream, these are the qualities that you identify with when you see yourself. And all other characters are qualities of you that you may not be fully aware of. So apply the same principle to people and events in your daily waking life. That's the same. And when you encounter someone who you don't appreciate, ask yourself, what quality of myself I am privileged to face in this particular lesson of life? Know that everything you have in your life is your own creation. It's a tough pill to swallow. Huh? At first, it sounds harsh and unfair. It's easier to put the blame, particularly in this culture where they're trying to blame always somebody else on someone. But if you look at yourself as a victim, 
of people or circumstances, when you then then you will be always victimized. And again, if you consider the possibility that everything is your creation, the good news is what you can create, you can uncreate. There is a great hope and openness to possibility of change. Experiment. Take a week and live as if you are a creator and see what happens. There was a, a great, one of the last great emperors of Rome, he lived in the second century uh, of common era, Marcus Aurelius. And he said, if I can remember, truly whatever arises in life is the right material to bring about your growth and the growth of those around you. Everything contains some special purpose and hidden blessing. What then could be strange or arduous when all of life is to share with you all that you need to know, like an old and faithful friend? These were the words of Marcus Aurelius, who lived almost 2,000 years ago. And finally, ladies and gentlemen, we are ready to start, but we, of course, we don't have time. We are ready to start our in-depth exploration on the Bible. Uh, and we are still in chapter 22, and of course, we'll not be able to do it today, once again. And I, dis I realized something, um, you know, we went quite, quite slowly going, uh, uh, not only chapter by chapter, but verse by verse. I think I will go a little bit faster. I will go event by event and character by character, story by story, meaning I will not be reading um, every verse. That will allow us to speed up a little bit. We'll, we'll cover, we started talking in chapter 22 about uh, Abraham about to sacrifice Isaac. This is a major event, and there is a major teaching from this event. Then we'll go to the next event, and then the next event, and the next event. That will speed up the process. And if you have any questions about things in between that we'll skip, then you're welcome to, to call and ask questions. Uh, for now, I have to wrap up. It's already 2.55. I want, like, once again, to encourage you to write to me. I do, as you notice, I do read your emails. Um, and I, if, as long as it's within a page, if it's not too long, do not send me your uh, night dreams, because I, again, I had somebody last week send me a night dream, on like, it was like two pages long, and I didn't even read it, because there is no way I even can address that dream, because the question was, it was, uh, uh, the writer wrote, um, it was quite a complex dream, I cannot figure it out, would you help me? And then the whole, like, two, really, um, a lot of text. So, there is no way I can even start talking about the dream because 
uh, by now, those of you who read the article understand that I have to ask you, you questions about every character that you that you uh, encounter in your dream because it's always a reflection of you and I don't know your thoughts thoughts about different uh, characters. So even if it's known to people to everyone, for example, what is Biden to me, maybe not what is Biden to you, what is um, Donald Trump or, or Mahatma Gandhi to me is not necessarily to you. And if you have these characters in your dream, how would I know what it means to you unless we talk? So I, in fact, I just realized today is the last um, the last show of the week. And at one point we were talking about the possibility of dedicating this last show to night dreams, but nobody called with a night dream anyway. And probably people are not ready to share with their night dreams. Anyway, uh, I want to thank you all um, for being with me today. I'm looking forward to hearing your feedback regarding today's show. And also you can suggest in your emails what subject you would like me to cover, to address. And again, uh, you have within limitations of my expertise, and my expertise is mind-body integrative therapy. Again, uh, thank you for being with me today. Um, be happy. Peace to all who want to live in peace.